Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Indeed, it's the Fret Files podcast. This is the October edition, which means that it is the guitar horror stories. <laughs> second annual. It is the second annual. Thanks for noticing. Um, we're going to save the guitar horror stories for the end of the show, though. We're going to do the first half. We're going to do questions. And the second half, we're going to do horror stories. What do you think? Perfect. Is that a good plan? It sounds great. I think it's a good plan, too. Um, I really want to thank everybody that submitted questions and submitted horror stories. And uh, please keep it up. You know, it really means a lot to us if if you participate in the show, because if you don't, then we don't have a show. And I know you could just type these questions into Google or go to a forum and ask the knuckleheads there. But, you know, hey, you're getting a free professional opinion here. Absolutely free. Um, but no, in all seriousness, uh, I know that um, a lot of a lot of you guys participate in the show just just to uh, keep the show going because you enjoy it and you want to participate, and I really appreciate that. So keep them coming. Keep the questions coming. Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, submit a question that way. There's a nifty little form you can fill out. While you're there, you can peruse my website, if you wish. Uh, the other way to, to contact the show is uh, you can call 757-774-8482. That number again is 757-774-8482. Leave a voicemail. I'll use it as part of the show. And without further ado, let's take some questions. We get Just a polite correction. At the end of the last podcast, you called the internet hyperspace. I think you meant (laughs) cyberspace. This isn't meant as criticism, just a polite correction. Thanks for the great podcast, Jim. Jim, you're so right, and I went back to listen because I I was a little bit stunned that I did that. But no, you're absolutely right. Uh... And I, all I can say is that, um, uh, you know, at, when we were doing the show, we were doing it next to our bookshelf, and we've got a book on the shelf by Michio Kaku called Hyperspace. And I think I was looking at it and called Cyberspace Hyperspace. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't actually do the show from hyperspace in a tesseract. We... we it's... it's it, this is cyberspace. Yeah, it's... it's I do the know the difference. Dimension. Yeah, I do know the difference, I promise. Um, anyhow, thanks for the correction. Uh, and anybody else, if you have corrections, please send them in. I, I like it. Hello, Eric and Mel. I keep hearing about tone being different from maple to rosewood necks. I know there is a difference in feel, but is there really a difference in tone? If so, what? Thanks, Zach in Ohio. Thanks, Zach. You know, this is one of those things that has been going on forever People say, at least the traditional uh, wisdom that I've always heard and that everybody's always heard, is that rosewood, you know, all things being equal, so let's say two identical guitars, one has a rosewood neck, one has a maple fingerboard. We're talking about just the fingerboard here. Right. Right. Doesn't Not the entire neck, but just the fingerboard. Uh, rosewood fingerboard versus maple fingerboard. The traditional wisdom is that rosewood has a warmer tone and maple has a brighter tone. But um, 
in my experience, there's just not much tonal difference on an electric guitar. Most of the tone is in your pickups and in your hands and in the way the guitar resonates. The The main difference between rosewood and maple is that um, they feel different and they look different, obviously. And uh, maple is is lacquered over where rosewood isn't, so um, that's where a lot of the feel difference comes in. But, you know, I've never heard a recording and thought to myself, oh, that's a maple fingerboard guitar. I mean, have you? I mean, really, think about it. So, uh, you know, and I've I've even uh, uh, seen, um, oh, a guy, I, I went on YouTube recently and saw him do a shootout with, uh, you know, one guitar body with, with the same pickups, and he swapped the necks out, and he recorded the guitar with a rosewood fingerboard and recorded it with a maple fingerboard. And, okay, maybe there's the tiniest difference, but oh, they they sound so almost exactly similar that it's just not anything I would worry about. Go with what feels best and with what you like, um, because I really don't think there's much tone difference. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Hi, Eric and Melissa. On Fender-style pickups, why are some pole pieces beveled on top and some are not? What is the purpose of this bevel? Is there a tonal difference between beveled and non-beveled pole pieces? Thanks for the great podcast. My wife and I listen together, and she doesn't really care much about guitars, but she likes that you are a husband-wife team and the conversational tone of the podcast. Thanks. Bill and Elaine in Arizona. Thanks, Bill and Elaine. Uh... I'm curious if if my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa, did I introduce you? Oh, I don't think you did. I don't even think I introduced myself. Did you introduce our son singing yeah, in the background? Can, I don't know if you can hear him, but he's screaming in the background, singing. Um, I'm curious if you have a guess. Do you, do you know why there's... Some pole pieces are beveled? Uh, I don't even... I, I can't even picture this. Like, the... Like, like beveled as in like pointed? How, how in beveled yeah. in what way? Well, instead of just a straight cylinder, they they have an angled top around the edge. The only thing I can think is to make it easier to, to apply the bobbin. That is exactly right. Oh. The reason that they're beveled is so that it fits through the bobbin material easier. Oh. That's the only reason that they started doing that. Are there tonal differences? Uh, I'm sure that beveling the magnet slightly changes the magnetic field just a little bit. But again, you know, it's not something that's going to be a, a big difference in tone. So um, no, I don't, I don't think that there, that there really is any, any big tonal difference uh, in beveled versus non-beveled pole pieces on pickups. I... I don't want to pretend that I'm an expert on pickups, but I, th- I th- I've seen my fair share of Fender pickups, and I don't think I've ever seen this. Is it? Oh well, maybe you haven't noticed. Um, it's something that they have done during certain time periods. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not 100 percent of Fender. No, pickups, just and that's why he's asking the questions. Like sometimes you yeah. see it, sometimes oh, you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Bill and Elaine. <clears throat> Hey, Eric and Mel. Love the show. I have a few questions, and I really appreciate your taking the time to answer them. First, a comment. I bought a set of custom-made P90s from you last month, and I love them. I installed them on a Les Paul special that originally came with Gibson P100s, and man, it sounds so much better with your pickups. Right on. So, on to my questions. How did you improve and eventually get good consistent, good and consistent and handwriting pickups? Practice. Or, to put it another way, if you and I both started with the same P90 kit and wire from Stumac, and assuming that I had a decent winding machine, why would yours sound so much better than mine when they were done? Which I'm sure would be the case. And that's that's <laughs> not my input, that's the question, the questioner's input. And then he put a smiley face. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Uh, it seems there are several human variables that determine the sound of a hand-wound pickup, the tightness of the wind, and how scattered it is. How did you learn to reproduce those characteristics when moving around from pickup to pickup? How many pickups did you build before you could wind consistently? Are you ever surprised by the sound of a pickup when it's done? I have a few pickup kits from Stumac. 
uh, he's got a P90, a humbucker, and a jazz bass that I've been hesitant to build because I don't want to ruin them and waste time and money. I've built a few electric guitars from scratch and have got, gotten p- pretty good at soldering guitar electronics pedal mods and such. How can I make sure that my pickups come out okay? Not as good as yours, of course, but how about 90% as good? Again, I love the show. Thanks so much for producing it. Todd in Bonnie Lake, Washington. Thanks, Todd. You're too kind. Uh, I'm sure your pickups will sound great. You know, there's really not some big magic secret formula. There really is a technique to it, though, and, you know, practice makes perfect. I've, I've wound... I don't know, hundreds of pickups at, at least. I, I don't know how many, I don't know how many, but I've I've gotten it kind of down to a science of how I like to wind it. Um, there are a few things that I kind of, I kind of don't want to talk about because it's... Proprietary. Well, I mean, not really, but, you know, like, <laughs> this is after I said there's no big secrets, but um, I, I'll tell you. So I, I magnetize my, uh, my magnets in a certain way that I feel like has a has a has an effect. Um so that's one thing. Uh the other thing is that like you mentioned the tightness and of the coil and uh how how much scatter you put in the wind and I've kind of got my own, you know, system on how to do that. Uh and it's not even anything that I would be able to describe. It's just a feel thing. So again, it's 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 practice. It's practice, and I'm sure that your pickups are going to sound great if you start winding some. Just keep on practicing, and uh, it'll be fun. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Todd. How many guitars do you think you've worked on in your repair career? (laughs) How many do you think you will work on if you retire at, say, age 65? (laughs) Mark in Kentucky. Uh, Mark, that that is a good question. Um... It's hard to say because there I've worked at, at jobs like in a almost like a factory setting where I've worked on 30 or 50 guitars in a day where you are setting up guitars for for shipment and you don't you don't do like a full, you know, hour setup on it. You just are making sure that they're good to go, ready to ship. So you spend 10 minutes on each guitar. Um and so I would work on a lot of guitars per day. Then, now I maybe work on an average of five guitars a day, I would say. So let's say conservatively five guitars a day. Okay. Uh, and I've been doing this for over 20 years. Oh, let's say 20 years. So five guitars a day uh, would be 25 a week if I'm doing five days a week, right? right? So 25 in a week times... If I take two weeks of vacation, that's 50 weeks, right? Right. So 25 times 50. It's 12.50. You're the math whiz. 12.50, we should get a calculator. 12.50 times 20. Is 25,000. So so let's say conservatively 25,000 guitars in my career. That's ridiculous. That's a lot. Some of them will be return customers, though. Some of them are the same guitar. Oh well, I guess you could say that uh, that that's that that's possible. But you know, if you count each incident of working on it, right? Yeah, that's a lot. Twenty-five thousand. But some days you only work on like two guitars. Some days, but you know, some days I'll work <clears throat> on. Like I said, so, you know, yeah. at that at that other job, I would work on thirty guitars a day. Right. Sometimes, you know, and still, if you know, if we get, uh, if we get a shipment of student guitars in, sometimes, you know, I don't so much anymore because we've got another person there at the at Emerald City Guitars that does this. But I used to go through all those, and so we'd get a shipment of twenty guitars, and I would set all those up. Hmm. So you know, I would say conservatively. 25,000 guitars. <laughs> but, and that's, <clears throat> that's just so far. Yeah, that's just so far. So what was his question? <laughs> uh, How many if you retire, <laughs> excuse me, retire at age 65? So that's another 20 years from now. So another 20 years from now. So let's say 50,000 50, guitars. Holy cannoli. Over 50,000 guitars. Yeah. 
Crazy. Yeah, wild. I no, like that question. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Thanks, nobody, Mark. nobody cares, but yeah. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> no, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I thoroughly enjoy the podcast and appreciate all that you do to make it happen. My question is concerning intonation. I play solely in open E tuning, so my question regards to when to set the intonation. Do I set the intonation in standard tuning and then tune up to an open E, or do I set the intonation to in open E? The reason I ask is I tried to set the intonation myself and can't seem to get the saddles back far enough to get it spot on. Thanks again, Corey. Um, well, I would set the intonation to the tuning that you're going to use. Um, so if you're going to use open E, then I would tune to open E and I would intonate your guitar to that. Uh, if you can't get the saddles back far enough, then, then something's going wrong with it. Like what? What could be the problem? Well, I don't know what kind of guitar it is, so it's hard for me to say. Oh. His, his action could be too high. The saddle could be in the wrong place. The, you know, I've seen plenty of Les Pauls where the bridge is in the wrong place and you can't get the saddles back far enough you have to move the whole bridge so it would help to know what kind of guitar but yeah intonate it to the tuning that you're going to use and intonation is the last step you want to make sure everything else is adjusted properly first so your action is set your neck is straight everything else is adjusted first and then do the intonation I guess that makes sense yeah thanks Corey Hi, Eric. I'm listening to the latest podcast now, and I think I might disagree with your answer to Nate's question about quarter sawn necks and their effect on intonation. As you mentioned earlier, quarter sawn will be more stable and less prone to warping. Well, wouldn't a warped neck also throw intonation out since it would could change the distance of some frets in relation to their saddles? Hope that makes sense. Todd. Yeah, I remember the question. Um, the question was about quarter sawn necks and what their in effect on intonation will be. And my answer was I, I didn't think that the person asking the question understood intonation, uh, understood what they were saying. Anyway, so Todd says maybe he... <laughs> I don't know. This is getting deep. Um, he's So Todd's saying, wouldn't a warped neck throw intonation out? That's yes. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's, technically, yes, I suppose that that's, that that's correct. But, it, you know, there's, there's other things to consider. So, like, a, a neck that isn't quarter-sawn, it's not that it's that likely to warp. It's just that a neck that is quarter-sawn is, is less likely to warp. So, it's, I mean, it's really not a concern. And I'm really sure that the guy uh, asking the question originally made the mistake that, that a lot of people do. He was just kind of judging judging from the way he worded the question. Uh, he was saying intonation, like how a guitar sounds or something like that. Um, but saying a warp neck will cause intonation problems, is a, it's a little bit like saying a car with flat tires will get bad gas mileage. Uh you know, I mean, technically, yeah. yeah, but there's a lot bigger problems to deal with, like playability and action and, and fret buzz. So really, intonation is the least of your worries if your neck is warped bad enough to be unplayable. Um, like I said in the last question, intonation is adjusted after everything else is set. So, um, yeah, I mean, technically you're correct, but it but it's it's really kind of a technicality. But thank you. I do appreciate the feedback. We like emails like that. Absolutely, I do. Um, you know, and like I say, technically, yeah, you're correct. And so, I mean, you're thinking and I like that, but, but it's really kind of a red herring in a way. So, you know, no offense, of course. Well, thanks for the feedback, Todd. Yeah, totally. Let's take, uh, let's take a break and do some, uh, horror stories, shall we? Sweet. Head on. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do down here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. 
So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful handmade made to order guitar strap from yours truly do you take custom orders i do they're beautiful you have to see them melcoleather.com right right uh as i make guitars you know we share a shop in the backyard there as i'm making guitars she's sitting in the other corner making straps and i see her make these straps she's so meticulous and so gifted and thanks you're such a craftsman Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. You're so crafty. Uh, really high quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. MelcoLeather.com. Guitar Horror Stories segment of our podcast. We did this last year, and it was really a big hit. People liked it. And I thought it was one of the most fun shows we've ever done. Yeah. So if you if you haven't heard last year's Guitar Horror Stories, go check it out. Um, I thought I'd start with a little horror story of my own. Let's hear it. Okay. First of all, let me just say that I should know better. I was looking, and I do this from time to time, I was looking on eBay for Dan Electros just because, you know, you never know. A deal might pop up. I never buy anything. But this guitar popped up, and it was such a good deal that I couldn't pass it up. And it had just been posted, so I thought, oh, man, am I lucky. I'm snatching this up before anybody else had the chance, right? I looked at the pictures. It looks good. Seller, here is my first. Here was my first sign that there was a problem. The seller is one of these guys that takes guitars, takes them apart, and sells them basically one part at a time. 
That's not good. No, it's really not good. So he's selling a bunch of necks and bodies, and then the pickups separate in a separate auction, and the tuners in a separate auction. Really kind of a... Uh, a bit unscrupulous, if you ask me. I kind of don't like to see that. Especially, I mean, we're talking about vintage guitars, you know. That's really, really not cool. However, this was a Dan Electro U2 in black. I've, I, I had one years ago. I've always wanted to replace it. It didn't have any of the parts, but I have most of the parts. So I'm looking at this going, I already have the parts. Here's the neck and body. That's all I need. So I bid on it. Everything was good to go. Uh, it followed the tracking. You know, it came across the country. Here it comes. It shows up. The box looks beautiful, packed well. I pop it out of the bag, or out of the uh, box. Free gig bag. Oh, nice. Yeah, everything's cool. No shipping damage. Everything's good. I pull it out of the bag, and the neck has been broken but not in shipping it was it had a, a broken headstock that had been poorly glued back together and then spray painted over ouch yeah so a poorly done repair and that was not stated in the auction the auction said unbroken you know there's a few nicks and dings blah blah blah, blah but no breaks. Well, it was broken, so I requested a return, and the seller said, oh, well, it was fine when it left here, so it must have happened in shipping. So what you need to do is um, claim that it the headstock broke in shipping. That way we'll get the shipping insurance and to get you reimbursed. And I said, um, no, maybe you didn't read my message clearly enough. This guitar has been poorly repaired, not damaged in shipping. The headstock was broken, poorly repaired, painted over, really poorly, I might add. Sent him pictures, documented it. I had a a fellow tech check it out and write a letter. And I submitted that. I said, look, you know, here's all the evidence. And, I mean, he knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially looking at his other auctions, he knew exactly what he was trying to do. And so he, basically, I guess what he figured is he'll send this guitar and either one of two things is going to happen. Whoever gets it is going to be too stupid to know, or they're going to complain, at which point he'll say, well, well, better submit a shipping claim, and he'll get the money through a fraudulent shipping insurance claim. But I'm not going to play. I refuse to commit shipping insurance fraud to cover his butt. So... This has been going on for a week, and it's still unresolved. That truly is a horror story. And I'm really mad about it. I'm so sorry. The guy ripped me off. Yeah, that really does suck, because he was just counting on you to be dumb. Or willing to participate in his scam. Right. And then I look at his his feedback, which is 96% positive, right? Yeah. But most of his auctions are for, like, you know height adjustment screws or i mean you know yeah so most of his feedback is great just as described the yeah. screw was in perfect condition right just the strap button i needed thank you but his negative feedback one of the recent ones said this guy's a scam artist he sent me a broken guitar and then told me to blame usps stay away ouch i know i wish i would have known well, you, but didn't you read the reviews before you? He had 90-something percent positive feedback. He had a million auctions. The pictures looked fine because it's black, so the yeah. so the repair didn't show up in the pictures. And they weren't the world's most detailed pictures. And I'm not picky. I'm not a picky guy. Right. But this, you know, yeah. that's a deal breaker. Yeah. That's like a, a psychological thing, too. Like, if he says everything's perfect and the price is right, you're like, well... You know, it just feeds into your hopes and dreams. I'm and Yeah, so he, well, I'm not going to participate. Right. He's going to have to... And here's the other thing. He's like, you need to unsubmit this claim. I don't do claims through eBay. You need to just... Eat, you just need to message me, and we'll just talk about this in messages. What? Like, oh, why, you little cockroach? Because the light of truth hurts your eyes? You know, <laughs> there, there's a reason 
there's a reason why eBay has people submit claims through their process because yeah. of sellers like him. Right. What a scam artist. I'm so sorry. I hope. I wish I we could ha- we could have a picket back. line in front of his. I assume. A pox upon you, sir. Yeah. I hope you're listening to this podcast. Anyhow, let's get on with some horror stories, shall we? All right. <clears throat> this first one comes from John Guilford from Guilford Guitars in Glassford, Illinois. Yeah, you should check out John's website. Guilford Guitars, man. He's, he's making beautiful guitars. Sweet. I had a run-in with a certain buffing wheel 20 years ago. It was on my wedding day. <laughs> And I had no business working for the man that morning. I should have taken the whole day off. But such was the culture at the time and in the shop where I worked. The guitar in question was a common RG450BK Ibanez. I needed to spot buff a finish repair and I didn't want to take the trim off. And I didn't even clip the strings. Rather, they were rolled up like you get when you get them from the package. Although there were some gnarly twists at the end of the strings from being installed on the tuning machines. And that was all it took. Wham. The wheel caught a string and yanked the entire tremolo system off the guitar while I kept a hold of the body. Thankfully, the trem hit the ground immediately, but it could have come right back around in my face. That was it for me. I punched out and went off to get married. I am still married, (laughs) and that buffing wheel is still hungry for blood. Man, buffing wheels are dangerous. Yeah. Actually, the same thing happened to Ren Ferguson of Gibson Fender fame. At the time, Ren was with Gibson in Bozeman, and he was working on a customer-owned old-time rare Gibson. Can't remember the model. And the wheel yanked the whole guitar out of his hands and smashed it to pieces on the ground in front of him. It was unrecoverable, as I understand it. A total loss. There have been other buffing wheels buffing wheel accidents of various degrees. Thankfully, I am currently getting the best buffing system available anywhere just this month, but I still won't feel safe. Buff wheels are without a doubt the most dangerous tool I use. <laughs> That's from John Guilford uh, in Glassford, Illinois. Guilford Guitars. John is an old pal of mine, and I was working in the same shop when that happened to him. So I asked him to submit that story, but man. Especially on your wedding day. I know. He's like right. That does not he, bode well. Mm, he had no business being there on his wedding day. I mean, you got were the you shanks. There? You were you were yeah. there that day? Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. I know. And especially a trim system. That's got all sorts of sharp, yeah. pointy, <laughs> scratchy things. Well, and you know, you learn your lesson, right? But yeah, I, because that happened to him, I never buff a guitar that has strings on it. Yeah. Good. Which is good advice. Don't ever buff a guitar that has strings on it. You take those strings off, that extra 30 seconds of time. Could save you your it, eyes. Dude, it really could. It really could. Um, wh- when I interviewed Mark Tossman a few months ago, I had the foresight to ask him oh, nice. for a horror story. Cool. Yeah, shall we hear it? Yeah. Take it away, Mark. It was a wartime triple O twenty eight. Expensive guitar, valuable guitar, very cool guitar. And he wanted to know if I could take out the oversized bridge plate that somebody put in it. Generally, when I hear that, it's a bit of a groan because typically it's not done well. And in this one, when I actually looked in with the mirror, I couldn't believe it. I actually had to send the person back a picture of what I ran into. It looked as if though somebody turned the guitar upside down. When they uh, they had the new bridge plate in, and then uh, they had basically turned the guitar upside down, uh, so it's face down, and had taken a bottle of high glue, or not high glue, I'm sorry, uh, tight bond, yellow glue, and just squirted it and filled up and made a dam of glue <laughs> from the back of the bridge plate <laughs> to the convergence of the X brace. Oh, And no. so it was this yellow, white, horrible pile of glue that was about, oh, I'll call quarter to half inch deep, just covering the bridge plate right up to the braces, and just just a pool of, of dried snot. That's what oh, I would call. wow. That's <laughs> awful. I said, guy, if you can return this one, you should return it. I, I wouldn't even want to try to start poking my way through that and find out what's there. Yeah. That's one of the good ones. One more quickly. Uh, an old herringbone D28 came in the shop, and again, back... This is a 
late seventies and somebody didn't, didn't know about a neck set. So somebody's homespun efforts was to hook a clothes hanger over the end pin and run that up to the heel of the neck via the back, kind of bang on the back and then hooking that to a, a wire bar up to the headstock. And then a turnbuckle uh, was fitted so that they could turn the turnbuckle and torque this rod and pull the neck back. So the hand had to kind of accommodate working around this rod. <laughs> but, you know, clever, I guess, but not exactly appropriate wow. vintage work there. <laughs> wow. Ouch. That hurts. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, those are great, man. I appreciate that. Cool. Thank you. Sure, sure. There's some good ones there from Mark Tossman. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Uh, I'll take one here. Here's a horror story for you. I had a nice 90s Gibson 335 once. I took it in about 10 years ago to what I thought was a reputable repair shop to be refretted. Boy, was I sorry when I picked it up and saw what was done to my guitar. The tech sawed through the binding and refretted it like it would, like you would refret a fender. Uh, I gasped and I told him that it wasn't acceptable. He replied that there was no other way to do it. <laughs> I refused to pay. He, begrud he begrudgingly let me take my guitar without paying the bill, and I sold it the next day on Craigslist for enough money that I came out okay, and the new, okay the new owner didn't seem to care much about the weird fret job. It played nice. It was a good, even level f playing fret job, but the fret ends cutting through the binding was totally a deal-breaker. It would have had to be rebound and refretted in order to make it good again, and I just didn't want to mess with it. I took the money from the sale, and I bought a vintage Fender amp that I still use to this day, so at least there's a slightly happy end to the story. Thanks for the entertaining and informative show, Matthew. Yeah, I guess that's one way to refret. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that. Oh, Ouch. I know, that's just a heartbreaker. You want to read the next one? Uh, Sure. Yesterday, a guy came to a pool party I was attending with a very expensive hard shell guitar case. When he opened it and took out the guitar, I almost passed out. It was, without a doubt, the most trashed out and dilapidated Martin I had ever seen. He bought this 1950 Triple Lot 15 in 1970, and other than changing some strings, I don't think he ever cleaned it. And he did all the repairs himself. He told me he used wood putty and super glue for all of the repairs, and he discovered that super glue over the wood putty made it last a lot longer. He told me that he once sat and crushed it and dropped it and put holes in it, and each time fixed it up with his trusty wood, wood putty and super glue. But I got the biggest kick out of his neck reset job. You are not going to believe this. Instead of removing the neck and resetting it to the correct angle, he separated the heel end portion from the top heel end portion of the top from the sides and end block using a pocket knife <laughs> then carved down about half an inch off the width of the sides and block and re-glued the top back down and to my absolute amazement the action and playability and tone is excellent <laughs> this is perhaps the greatest story that I've personally come across move over Willie Nelson you can't touch this and that's from Roy Forrest wow Oh, man. Uh, the pictures of that guitar are going to be used for the uh, uh, the image for today's show. Oh, you got the picture? That's yeah. awesome. And it's, it's, I mean, it's about half, the guitar is about half wood putty. Wow. It's unbelievable to see. You'll you'll see it. It's really something. Well, I love oh, that yeah, yeah. the tone and the playability is good. So, well, apparently the guy hilarious. actually uh, got something right there. But oh, please don't use wood putty and super glue on an old Martin. Here's another. Uh, I've been repairing guitars for longer than I care to remember, and in the early days, I worked on guitars out of a spare room in my house. I had a beautiful old Gibson J45 in my possession from a customer, and it was one of the nicest old examples I'd ever seen. It was really a great guitar. I was going to be doing some work on a loose brace and a few other minor repairs, but I didn't have time to get to it right away, and I was going to go out of town for a few days. I didn't want to leave it in the shop, and I thought the best place for it would be just to lay it right in the middle of my bed. Nobody would be home. Nobody would mess with it. It wouldn't be disturbed and that would be the safest place I could think of for it. Or so I thought. The rain came. Aww. 
Oh, no. And it poured and poured while I was gone. The roof developed a surprise leak, and it just so happened that the only spot where the roof leaked was directly over the sound hole of this beautiful oh, old Gibson. No. When I came home, the guitar was partially full of water, and the back braces were floating inside. <sighs> This was the biggest disaster that's ever happened to me, and I'm so careful about where I leave guitars. But it just goes to show, you can never be sure. Something crazy can always happen, no matter how careful you are. That is like the... And that's from David. The perfect storm of terrible My things. My God, like, David. How, how is that possible that that... I know, if it were in a movie, you'd say that it were unbelievable. Yeah. That is totally insane. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have one more story. Of Sweet. my own. You want to hear it? Yes. A while ago, a, a gentleman brought in a guitar to sell to the shop where I work. And, uh, you know, this happens all the time. People bring in guitars to sell. And then the owner, the, my boss, a very nice guy, will sometimes bring the guitar back to me and say, Eric, take a look at this guitar and make sure that it's okay for me to buy you know, make sure there's no issues with it. Well, this guy came in and, and hadn't even opened the case yet, and I was he overhearing the conversation, and things just seemed weird, you know. This guy had a guitar to sell, and he really wasn't very forthcoming with any information. My boss was saying, is this guitar yours? Well, it is now. Uh, well, what kind of guitar is it? Well, I don't rightly know, actually. Uh, well, are you... Are you the owner of the guitar? I mean, I, you know, because we get, you know, sometimes yeah. people come in and try to sell stolen guitars. Right, yeah. So we try to suss out as much information as we possibly can. Finally, the guy says, well, the owner is dead. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Uh, what, what had happened is this guy was his landlord. Oh, Okay. And the guy that died didn't have any family and didn't have anybody that claimed his stuff. And after so many days, then the, whatever the law is, that property becomes his. The landlord's. Yeah. Right. So, you know, he he was a little hesitant to tell the story, but it was a legit story. You know, I mean, it, it right. wasn't anything weird about it. So we said, okay, well, let's take a look at the guitar then. And see if it's something that we'd be willing to buy. So he puts the guitar up on the bench and flips open the case. And it's the cockroach guitar from last no. year. Yes. Do you remember the cockroach guitar from last year? The uh, story yeah. that I told you? Because it gave me nightmares. The horror story. My horror story from last year was a, this old man that I know. Are you kidding me? Brought in a guitar to be repaired. And when I when I opened the case cockroaches just scattered everywhere <laughs> so i slammed the case back shut well he died and i didn't know oh, that, yeah that sucks well sure it does and the guitar came back to haunt you it came back what the i now there didn't seem to be any cockroaches in it but you don't want to look too close i sure didn't anyway my i i kind of Tried to tell my boss not to buy it, but he bought it anyway, <laughs> and and so, but everything worked out okay. I, you know, it, it was it was oh, all right. But I never that, thought. I know that is unreal, isn't it? That's a true story. That is that the cockroach guitar came back, and poor. I don't want to say his name. Well, yeah. he's he's passed away now. Paul, we miss you, Paul. He, he was a nice old man. He really was. I really liked him. He was a good player too. He was a jazz player. He was a grumpy guy, man. That's oh, my favorite kind. He was a grumpy guy. But I liked it. It was kind of a charming grumpy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Anyway, rest in peace, Paul. Thanks for the cockroach guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're just, uh, oh, my God. We're all out of horror stories. Oh, I have two more that I uh, recorded over the phone. Uh, since I was thinking about eBay horror stories, I got a couple of eBay horror stories from, from a few friends of mine. Shall we hear those? Yeah, let's, let's hear them. Let's do it. Joining me on the phone is my buddy Rick Hines. Hi, Rick. 
Hey, Eric. I hear you have a uh, a really good eBay guitar horror story. I do. Um, yeah, as you and I were talking about before, commiserating about our experiences on eBay, um, recently I uh, was in the market to buy a mandolin. And like an idiot, I probably should have looked locally before I went online, but I went down the rabbit hole of researching online and doing all that stuff and found, and basically what I wanted was, a, you know, something old kind of vintage, good wood, things like that. Yeah. America. Yeah. yeah. And so. Well, and I sometimes found, it's hard to find exactly what you want locally. So you, so you go to eBay. Exactly. It's, it can be such a gamble. So what happened uh, with your mandolin? So I, uh, I found a mandolin online and uh, I put my bid in and I did not expect to win the bid because, you know, usually I don't because <laughs> I'm not a serious eBayer, but I won this auction and uh, right away I paid through PayPal, which is the customary way to pay and uh, emailed the seller to say, hey, I won the auction, looking forward to getting the mandolin, didn't hear anything from this guy. Uh, and then Finally, I got an email saying he shipped it, uh, and he sent some tracking number. Uh, I tried to use the tracking number, but it didn't work. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then he, um, uh, in further inquiry, he, he said he did not ship the mandolin. Oh, after he said he shipped it, he said he didn't ship it. Exactly. And so, you know, right out of the gate, I'm thinking, oh, boy, this thing's going to go south. Um, and... Uh, the other thing is, so so he said he shipped it, said he didn't ship it, then he said he shipped it, and then he relisted the item that I had just won on auction on eBay. What? Yeah. So, so do, do you think he was trying to keep it and because he didn't like the price it went for? That's what I speculate, because uh, in one of our conversations, we actually talked on the phone, he said, wow, you got a good deal on this mandolin, and I'm like, okay, uh, sounds good. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, <laughs> so send it. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so that's what I think happened. I think he thought he wanted to get more for the instrument. He didn't get that. And then he was trying to worm his way out of the deal. And so I, you know, took all the action I took with, you know, uh, complaining to eBay and all this stuff. And But turns out he had actually shipped the mandolin. Wow. Unbeknownst to me, yeah. So uh, I, you know, we'd had this back and forth and he got heated and, and said some silly things. And uh, anyway, I got the mandolin, and uh, it's pretty cool. Um, it needs a little work, but, uh, you know, it ended up working out, but it, it was a very stressful uh, transaction. Yeah. Did, so he <laughs> – so <laughs> do you think he, he relisted it after he shipped it? To you, I mean, this is yes. that's it, yes. It's very. It was. I, I was baffled by the whole thing. He, w what he said was he was having PayPal issues, like PayPal had frozen his account or something like that, which he didn't tell me initially. And I just paid like I've always paid. I've done. I'm not an eBayer, but I've done a few transactions where I've paid and then contacted the seller, and you know they've shipped it and everything's cool. But uh, yeah, this guy said he's had PayPal issues. And uh, and he told me he was trying to do these things so that eBay would cancel the transaction, but it, it was oh, just, so he so he could get out of it. I guess so, yeah. But uh, it was the strangest way I think to to do that, right? But yeah, oh yeah, yeah it was really strange. Wow. Well, at least you got it, man. I mean, uh, that that doesn't happen in a lot of cases. Exactly. So I mean, I but uh, you know it. It kind of soured me on the on the deal, you know, because I was excited to get this thing that I had won the auction on, which I didn't anticipate winning in the first place. And I went through all this ridiculous back and forth with this guy. And I mean, yeah, I mean, as time passes, it it's it's a little less uh, irritating. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, I think it, it tainted the the experience of purchasing that mandolin. Well, and it's such a gamble on eBay. I've I've had good deals, but. You can get burned so easily. There are really unscrupulous people on eBay, and I, especially with guitars, I tell people all the time, eBay is where bad guitars go to die. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Guitars that you cannot sell in person end up in on eBay because they have issues. Right, and yeah, and 
like you say, it's always buyer beware. And and I could have done a little more due diligence to kind of, he, you know, he had a good rating, but he didn't have a lot of time as a seller on eBay. So there were things that indicators that I might have yeah. seen early on that, that, you know, for, for people listening that, you know, do your due diligence. So right. You can try to avoid uh, or buy local. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, that's the, that's the trick is buy, <laughs> yeah. buy local. But like I say, sometimes what you exactly what you want, you can't find it locally. It's true. It's true. Especially but, if you don't live uh, in a in a major metro area. Yep. And that is the benefit of being able to go online and say, oh, I found this neat mandolin that meets my requirements and, you know, I'll try to buy it. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the middle of a dispute right now because, I, I mean, I should know better. But I, <laughs> I bought a guitar on eBay last week or a week and a half ago and it, it shows up and it's not anything like the seller described. So I'm trying to return it now. Well, good luck because the seller is claiming that it was uh, damaged in shipping, and so it's my word against his at this point. And and now we're just waiting for eBay to decide what who you know who to side with. Oh man, it's a total yeah. mess. It, it it's difficult, and yeah, I would go through every channel I could, like I think you're doing, and and try to get it, you know, and try to communicate with the seller as much as possible to try to make it right. But you're right. I mean, you're at the mercy of somebody's goodwill or not you yeah know, which is terrible but, oh i know uh, yeah and, yeah. and and i mean it it's just obvious that he's trying to what he's trying to do is have me claim that it was damaged in shipping so that he can claim the insurance so that he's not out anything but uh you know that's not what happened the guitar it was completely misrepresented so i'm i'm not going to participate in some insurance fraud just so that he can cover his behind no, and you shouldn't. Yeah. That's, that's completely ridiculous. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, I hope it works out. Yeah. I, that's just terrible. I, yeah. And, again, you know, you think you should know better, but, you know, you also, you know, the whole the currency of this new online stuff is is ratings, right? And so, you know, if you a guy has decent ratings and everything else, I mean, you, you, you know, you're none the wiser unless you – enter into a transaction and then find out the hard way. But like I said, too, I'm, I'm not an eBayer, but I've done a few transactions and the ones I've done previously have turned out pretty well. But uh, so I think it was my my time you yeah, know, yeah. To, to have this. Happen. <laughs> it was it was your turn. <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Bye bye. Bye bye. And here, with another horror story, joining me on the phone is my buddy Greg. Hi, Greg. How's it going, Eric? Really good. So, you've got an eBay horror story for me, I hear. I do. I do. What was the guitar it's, in question? The guitar in question was a an American-made Stratocaster, uh, and it was uh, an artist series that had, you know, in the last couple of years had been discontinued. And so I was looking for one in in very good condition to... Add to my collection. And, and uh, you got a good price on it? Yeah, I thought I got a pretty good deal on it. I mean, the the it's tough to find one in, in really good condition. And the thing about this particular one was interesting is the pictures weren't all that great. They were kind of dimly lit photos. And so there was a lot of questions back and forth with the seller. And it turns out the guitar is is white in color, but it was looked kind of yellow in the photos. And so I asked, the seller about, hey, it looks kind of yellow. Is it yellow? Is it white? We know what's going on. I know that this particular guitar only came in a couple different colors. So if it was yellowed in color, it was, you know, discolored essentially, right? So he said, you know, good eye, you know, there's actually, um, there, he lifted up. I guess the, the backstory on this is this guy, he bought it off, um, a, he basically bought out a, a, a guitar store or a music store that was going out of business and bought some of their guitars. And this one was apparently new sitting in the window for a number of years. And as it was sitting in the window, it just discolored and got yellowed. And, and there was a tag hanging from the bridge. And so there's a spot on the, on the body of it in the front that, um, you know, is a little bit less yellow because the tag was in the way. Yeah. So he did disclose that. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. About it. But um, so you you won the auction. You got a decent right. price. Right. 
you you get the guitar, right? Yeah. And then what happened? Well, um, it looked as expected. I I pulled it out of the package. Everything looked, you know, I knew it was a little bit yellowed, and and uh, that seemed fine. You know, when I got home, I plugged it in. It seemed fine. But then I noticed that, you know, the one of the tone pots was not quite as I would expect. And, you know, he there, there clearly was some electronic stuff that had been done to it. And it had been configured kind of in a, I think they call it like the TBX tone circuit, where it's kind of like one way is treble, one way is bass. And like the center is like zero, so yeah. to speak. And so I knew that wasn't standard. Right. And so when you start wondering, okay, if electronics were messed with and were the pickups original, they those been swapped out. So that was kind of, you know, question number one that came up. And then of course the strings were super crusty. And so I changed the strings and then I went to go get the neck adjusted to straighten it. And I had have this handy dandy uh little ruler thing that helps determine you know how to get it straight. Yeah. And and it, uh, I couldn't get it straight. I could not get the neck straight. It was like, you know, a dip a little bit, and then it was, you know, so I, something was up. Yeah. Was it? Uh, did Did you sight the neck with your eye? How did it look? Um, to me, to be honest with you, I, I'm I'm not. My eye isn't trained enough to to see it by eye. Um, so what I did was I took it into a few places to get a different opinions including you yeah and, oh yeah uh, i saw the guitar and um and the reason why i took it in is because you know i wanted to do i wanted to keep the guitar i just wanted to understand what was wrong with it how much it might cost to get it fixed and i really just took it in several places to get you know to provide the seller with multiple opinions multiple prices to know that it wasn't just going to one person getting one prize and that was it yeah, and so the general consensus on the neck after talking to me and other techs was that it had a pretty good twist in it. Is that is that am I remembering right? Yeah, there was a twist and, and all three techs that I brought it to said the same exact thing. Yeah, so like a, a, a pretty a pretty good hump on one side and then a pretty good dip on the other side. Right. And then uh, you know, upon further investigation, you could tell that and I didn't notice it at first, but some of the threads of the high, uh you know, at the higher end were were um looked like they were sand it down a little bit probably to compensate for the the fact the neck was oh yeah dead. yeah yeah so uh, i would have done the same thing that you did and requested a, a, a refund and a return oh. right so and that's what yeah. you did right you requested a return i had requested a return how did that go well it was very interesting he waited until the very last minute to reply to the request and then it literally like like oh i don't know how many days you get seven days or ten days to reply and then literally that last day that he had to reply to the request, he said, hey, you know, I'm going to actually ask eBay to step in. And, you know, between that email I got, and actually before I even saw that email, I saw an, eBay, uh, an email from eBay saying that they had decided in the seller's favor. Hmm. Um, and, and I was shocked. So I called up eBay and I go, you know, I'm, I'm confused. Like somebody came to a decision within like 30 minutes of, this guy asking to step in what's going on well it turns out ebay policy is that if you loosen a screw on just about anything you buy from ebay it's considered altered huh. and, and as everybody knows on on a on a fender strat like that you've got to take the neck off to adjust the truss rod right exactly so you have to at least at least loosen it from that perspective and and you know, I did actually, I wanted to see if the neck and the body matched. So I actually, you know, I didn't take the strings all the way out, but I checked the data on the neck and the body and everything seemed to match. So it wasn't like this guy threw, you know, a bad neck on it. And also in terms of, you know, validation to, to show that I hadn't swapped the neck or something like that. I, I showed him that I had the date, the date stamps from both of them and they were, you know, one day off or something. Right. So clearly they were a match. Yeah. So because that correspondence was in, in the, because I had that correspondence with the seller that I had, you know, taken, you know, removed the neck from the body. Um, to then, eBay, the then eBay yeah. considered it altered. Exactly. God, that yeah. is unbelievable. I mean, you, you really, 
it really shows that they don't know anything about guitars if they consider uh, adjusting a truss rod on a Strat to be altering the guitar. That's really that's really sad. But I you- was absolutely curious, and I was you know I was I asked the doctor manager and I said, look, if I was selling a car on eBay, all I'd need to do is remove the engine, put four screws in the hood, ship it off to somebody, and say, well, you went to look under the hood, but you unscrewed the screws I put in the hood, so it's altered. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous policy. So I was beside myself about that. And then I thought, you know, and somebody, I think somebody mentioned to me, hey, you maybe try through PayPal because I, I bought it through PayPal. So I went through that process to appeal through PayPal. Okay. So, and, you, um, so you disputed the charge on PayPal. Exactly. Exactly. And then that took, you know, I, I put the request in and it took about a week and a half before I got any sort of communication from, from PayPal saying that they had even reached out to the, to the seller. Then they gave the seller 10 days to reply. Mm-hmm. And then he gave his story, which is, you know, basically called me a crook, said that I altered it. eBay found him the winner and all this stuff. Said some nasty things about me. Wow. And then I then um, went to you and asked for some help and said, hey, look, I'd, I'd love to get – in fact, one of the things PayPal said was if you can get some sort of letter or something from a professional that explains exactly what the situation is, that's going to absolutely help your case. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, so I and, – and I wrote up a letter and signed it for you stating that the neck was twisted. And so did that end it for you? Did PayPal decide in your favor? Yeah, so it was very weird because I sent that in, and then they, within a few days, their the system, the back and forth was terrible. I had to call them up every other day just to get an update on it. So after a few days, they said, well, we have a comment out to the seller saying, hey, we need the return address. And I said, well, does that mean that it's down in my favor? And they said, well, not exactly, but probably. <laughs> so it was very weird. But because he did not reply with his address and respond to the request within 10 days, they automatically refunded my money. And they told me I didn't have to return the guitar. Wow. So <laughs> a horror story with a happy ending. Exactly. And so, yeah. But I know, because I talked to you about it, you tried to send the guitar back to him for another, like, two weeks, I remember. <laughs> It was very bizarre <clears throat> because you didn't you didn't want to you didn't you didn't want a refund and to keep his money. I mean, you, you I know, feel right about it, right? I felt like you know I was really conflicted. I was like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep the guy's money and the guitar, and I just felt kind of dirty about it. Um, but I reached so I reached out to him several times. I called his his shop three four times, left messages. Oh, he's busy. He's with a customer. He can't you know he'll call you back. I left his, my number multiple times. I reached out to him via eBay message, you know, reply three times, nothing. Um, and so I finally gave him an ultimatum and said, um, you know, let me know what's going on by this date or if you want or whatever by this date or else. And he replied, he still didn't reply within the time frame. And then he replied like the day after. And so I'm still in communication with him about it. And I still don't know if I'm going to send it back. I'm still very conflicted because if I send it back to him, he's gonna he's gonna sell it to somebody else who's probably unsuspecting. Yeah, right? he's gonna right. He's gonna scam the next guy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very conflicted in this particular. But I mean, the the whole story is had so many twists and was so bizarre, especially at the very end when he wouldn't call me back or or reach out to me or whatever. That. But uh, yeah, I was furious for about a week and a half. <laughs> well, yeah. I well, yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that there's so many crooks on eBay, and, and and especially it seems like when it comes to guitars, because it's so easy to sell a guitar through pictures on the internet, um, because there's so many problems you can't see. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when we were talking about that just just last week, and that it's so, you know, if if I'm a crook and I'm trying to sell off guitars that are, you know, not 100%, then eBay has a really good forum for that yeah right? yeah if it's electronics are messed up or something that's you know you'd have to you know if i'd have to unscrew the pick guard or if i had to take the neck off to really understand what was going on 
you know, to be honest with you, per eBay's policy, the, the strings were crusty and old. You know, if I would have changed the strings, they probably would have considered that altering the guitar, right? Yeah, right, so right. It's just, you know, this bizarre policy that they have. And, of yeah. course, I, I, I asked them to – I said, hey, can I make a formal request to to adjust the policy? And they're like, sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, they don't care. You know, exactly. They, they're like, hey, you know, we'll put it in the in the pile of – requests for right. policy changes. That yeah, the guy they don't care. Well, at least everything. it it kind of turned out in your favor in the end there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. anyway, that that's, uh, it's it's a lot Cautionary like... Cautionary tale for people looking for guitars on eBay that you, I mean, it, I, I got lucky in this particular case, but, I mean, there's some people out there trying to sell off some stuff, and, and they're very quick. And I guess the other thing is be very limited in terms of what you communicate to the seller, especially if it has to do with any you know, unscrewing or loosening of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And it's it's sad because there are a lot of honest people, you know, making a living on eBay and selling good guitars and it and it the crooks taint the whole thing. Yeah. 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 It's too bad. Anyway, Greg, thanks a bunch for sharing your story, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, that does it for this show. It's another episode in the can, as they say, and I want to thank everybody that participated. This was a fun episode, man. The horror stories are cool. <laughs> they make me laugh. Uh, please participate in the show. It's kind of a question and answer show, and without questions, I can't really do it. So please, submit questions. Go to ericdaw.com. That's my website, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and then you can fill out a form there and submit your question that way. The other way to do it is to call and leave a voicemail, 757-774-8482, and I'll use your voicemail question or comment as part of the show. If you're a professional, if you're an amateur, or anywhere in between, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions and comments. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for those of you who participated. And thank you to my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa, for helping me make these shows. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com. We're part of, we're part of the uh, ufoship.com podcast network. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye.